Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Ryan Mowen. I'm senior pastor here at Church of the Atonement. We'd like to welcome you to worship this morning. We hope that you are uh, excited to come uh, as God's people, come to this hour where we set apart time that is special to worship the Lord, to thank Him for all that He's done, to remember and reflect on the grace and goodness that He has poured out upon us, and to grow in our faith as we uh, come under the teaching of His Word as the Lord uh, speaks to us through that. We'd like to thank you for joining us in this hour. If this is your first time uh, joining us for worship, please let us know. You can leave a comment on Facebook or you can send us an email at atonement, info at atonementlife.org. That's info at atonementlife.org. We'd love to know how we can welcome you uh, to this, uh, this fellowship. And we look forward to regathering very, very soon. We are going to be sending out emails about uh, the regathering plan. Uh, so if you're not receiving those emails, and if you haven't uh, received our emails in the past from uh, our Atonement email ac accounts, please make sure that you sign up for those. You can go to our website and scroll halfway down our homepage. There's a form you can fill out to request to be on our email subscription list. We'd love to keep you informed of some of the ministry happenings that are uh, taking place in our church through Atonement Life, as well as uh, special plans that are going to be uh, sent out later this month about uh, regathering for worship. So you can be Keeping that in mind, uh, one of the ministry happenings that is taking place right now is that we are having off-site, at-home family Bible camp. So there have been uh, sign-ups for folks that want to participate in family Bible camp this year, and there are going to be uh, take-home kits that are available today at the church from 3 to 5. So if you signed up and you received an email, this is just a friendly reminder to go and be a part of that uh, gathering from 3 to 5. We'd love to have you come. Uh, the, the earlier the better, and, and come and grab your things, um, as well as... Uh, 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 being there for a, a time of seeing one another and saying hi, it'll be great to, to be able to see one another after such a long time of, uh, of not seeing one another. Another reminder is that uh, next weekend, our women's ministry is putting together a uh, canned goods drive uh, for food for uh, supporting Mums, which is a local ministry partner uh, that we, we partner with. So if you have some things in the pantry or you don't mind making a trip or ordering online some extra groceries to support uh, mums, we'd love to have your help uh, in this season. So please uh, mark your calendars for that. There will be uh, information in Atonement Life about when the drop-off is. With that, let me pray for us as we begin worship this morning. <clears throat> Father, as we come to this hour, we know that this is a special time and a sacred time. It's a time where you want our full attention to be on you. You want us to be listening to your word. You want us to have our hearts and minds set upon what you are doing in the world, and what you are calling us to be, and how you are calling us to change. And so, Lord, we ask for your help. You know how easily our minds can wander, how quickly we can become distracted. And so, Lord, we ask that you would center us Center our minds and hearts for this hour so that we might be free to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, good morning. Hear now our call to worship. The mighty one, God the Lord. Pardon me for just one moment. 
Hear now the call to worship. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Let the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Rejoice in the name of the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Brothers and sisters, let's worship the Lord our God. Let's sing together, O church, arise.
do thank God for his amazing grace. We come now to a time of confession. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me as we go before God Almighty in confession of our sin? Almighty and most merciful Father, we are thankful that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, deeper than all our sin. Father, forgive our careless attitudes toward your purposes, our refusal to relieve the suffering of others, our envy of those who have more than we have, our obsession with creating a life of constant pleasure, our indifference to the treasures of heaven, our neglect of your wise and gracious law. Father, help us to change our way of life so that we may desire what is good, to do what is good, to pursue what is good, to love what you love, and to do, O oh God, what you command. And all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Our assurance of pardon comes from Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 8. The Lord says, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and their rebellion against me. And this God does through the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior, our Lord. Would you pray with me one more time? Our Father, I want to thank you for everything today, for life, for health, for strength. And Lord, I want to pray specifically and thank you for your provision for each and every person, Lord, and for your church. We thank you, God, that you continue to give, even during difficult days. Father, we give you honor and glory and praise. And we pray, God, that what you give, we would use for your honor and for your kingdom work. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we invite you to sing with us, Hosanna. I see the King of glory.
Well, good morning, kids. Hope you are doing well this morning. I hope you're excited for Family Bible Camp. If you guys, if your families are participating in that, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys as you come in. So make sure you say hi. Don't be uh, uh, shy. Make sure you wave. We'll lean out of car windows or whatever we have to do. But I'm looking forward to seeing everyone later today uh, at three, between 3 and 5. For our children's sermon today, I want to talk to you about taking a test. Now, some of you ha- have finished with school. Some of you are taking summer classes. But I know a lot of us have finished school, and so we think, whew, finally, I don't have to take any more tests. We get to take a break from all the tests and the quizzes that we would have, but I've got some news for you. Actually, we take tests all the time. There's all sorts of tests that we still have to take even when we're not in school. The Bible tells us there's all kinds of ways that we are taking tests. Every day, we have decisions to make about how we're going to live. Are we going to live the way that God's Word tells us to live and the way that makes God happy? Or are we going to live the way that we want to live? And maybe something that we think will make us happy. I'll give you an example of what I mean. When I was little, one of the things I loved to do, especially on Saturday mornings, was to sleep in. I didn't have to wake up early for school, but sometimes on Saturdays, my parents would want us to get an early start because there were chores to do. I would have to do things like cleaning my room and maybe cleaning the bathroom. There were things around the house that I had to do, cleaning the kitty litter box. Maybe you have some chores like that. Well, on Saturday mornings, it would be very easy for me to be in bed and my mom or dad to come in and say, okay, Ryan, it's time to get up. And I could have two choices to make. I could listen to them and I could get up and I could go and and do what they're asking me to do. I mean, that's what God's Word tells us to do, to honor our father and mother. Or I could choose to pretend I didn't hear them and to pull my covers up over my head and to stay in bed. Right? It's really a test. The one that I choose kind of tells uh, everyone and tells the Lord what matters most in my heart. Or maybe you've got a brother or sister and you're playing with a toy or you're enjoying a snack and they want to have some of your snack or they'd like to help or to share in playing with the toy that you're playing with. Maybe they'd like to share uh, having some time in front of the TV and finding something that you both want to watch. And again, in your heart, you have a decision to make. There's a test. Do you do what God's Word says and think of others? Or do you just think about yourself and do what you think will make you happy? Every decision like that is a test. It's a test that shows what matters most in our hearts. And so we're being tested all the time. Now, one of the things that I loved in school was when teachers told us, you can have a test to take, but it's an open book test. It means that we could use our history book and we could look up in the chapter what the answers were. We could use our math book and we could try to find out how we could answer these problems. And usually it's because the test was really hard. And so they knew they might not remember everything that we had learned in school, but we could look to where the answers could be found so that we could figure out what to do. And in the same way, we have an open book test, and every test that we take is open book. We have the Scriptures, God's Word, to teach us what is the right thing to do and what is not the right thing to do. And we can ask for help. 
We're not left to take the test and just simply do it in our own strength. God tells us that whenever we are sensing a struggle, whenever it is a hard decision that we have to make, God's Word teaches us over and over again that God's people turn to His Word for the answers and turn to Him for the strength to do the right thing. And so every day is a test, and we're going to be learning more about that in our next uh, Big People sermon. Every day is a test, and we have decisions to make all the time but it's an open book test. We have God's Word to help us know what the right decisions are, and we have access to God through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, to ask for His help and ask Him to help us do the right thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this lesson. We thank You for the opportunity to take tests and to see what really matters most in our hearts. And Lord, You know how sometimes we can look back on things that we've decided to do, and we see just how much more growing we have to do. So we pray that you would help us. Help us to remember that we can always turn to your word to find right answers. Help us have the strength to obey what your word says so that we might see more and more that your truth is good for us and that you want to grow us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Help us with all the tests that we face this week and even today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we uh, turn our attention to 1 Peter today, we're actually going to be covering the entirety of chapter 4, which I know probably sounds like a lot, but there's quite a flow to this passage. Um, and I think for us to really appreciate the flow that is there, it's important for us to just review a little bit of what Pastor Terrence covered last week. Last week, Pastor Terrence led us through a section of 1 Peter where Peter encourages all believers to live as God's holy people. And we see this first, as Pastor Terrence taught, by uh, how Peter gives them a holy prescription. Peter calls for Christians to be holy and exhibit a, a Christ-likeness in the way that they live. They should have a unity of mind in how they live towards one another. They should exhibit sympathy and brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind, that they should not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, they should be people who are blessing even when they are reviled and even when they experience evil done against them. For to this you were called. So that's the holy prescription that we saw last week. And then we saw that Peter goes on to describe a holy suffering where Peter foretells of some of the difficulties that will come against God's people for living in this way. We learned that God's people should be ready to give a defense. We should have a reason for the hope that is within us. And when people come against us, we should give that reason with gentleness and respect. And finally, Pastor Terrence showed us also that uh, there is a picture in Peter's writing at the end of chapter 3 of a holy Christ. Peter describes how Jesus not only lived a perfectly righteous, godly life, but he also suffered perfectly. He suffered once, and in doing that, he brought redemption and salvation to us. Our redemption came at this great cost. First Peter chapter 1, you might remember, Peter wrote in the beginning of his letter that we were ransomed, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And Peter's point, as he describes this great suffering at the end of chapter 3, is that though the suffering was great, 
the glory that was to come is greater. Though Christ suffered, Peter ends by describing how he is seated in glory with all authority and power. And the reason why it is helpful for us to review this is because Peter connects this suffering and glory of Christ to the very next statement that he gives in chapter 4. You know, the events of Christ's suffering, his betrayal and arrest and his crucifixion and death, these are often referred to as the passion of Christ. You may have heard that. You might be familiar with Mel Gibson's movie. That word, passion, the reason that word is used is because in these events, Christ demonstrated how far he was willing to suffer to be obedient to his Father. He was demonstrating how much he was willing to suffer for the sake of bringing us back to God and how much he was willing to suffer for glorifying and doing his Father's will. And so as God's children, what we're going to see in our passage today is Peter says we should be thinking in the same way. We should be thinking in the same way. So let's turn to our passage. This is First uh, Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin with verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time of, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has, is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Well, the main point in chapter 4 that Peter is trying to convey is that believers should arm themselves to be ready for the cost of being one of God's children. Just as Jesus was willing to suffer in order to glorify His Father and bring us back into relationship with God, Peter says we should arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. This idea of arming ourselves is a militant term. It's kind of similar to another phrase that Peter used earlier where he said that we should gird up the loins of our minds. In other words, preparing our minds for battle, preparing our minds for action. And here, Peter is kind of applying that same principle by saying that we should arm ourselves. We should be ready and be prepared for this long and difficult battle of life in which suffering will come. And so Peter supports this idea by giving three supports, three ideas uh, that he conveys in, in these paragraphs. And so the first one that we see in the second half of, verses, uh, of verse 1 through verse 6, and this is the, the first support that Peter gives. He says that we should arm ourselves in this way of thinking because the time for living for ourselves is over. As we'll see throughout this passage, as you may have heard as I read through it, suffering is really the great litmus test of faith. If someone is willing to suffer for Christ, it shows what matters most in their heart. So after calling Christians to arm themselves and prepare themselves for enduring this suffering, Peter writes that those who have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. What Peter means here is not that believers who suffer are sinless, but rather he's writing that those who are willing to suffer for the name of Christ, it shows something about them. It demonstrates that sin has no more dominion over their hearts. If someone is willing to accept and receive the suffering on behalf of following Christ, it demonstrates where their heart, uh, what matters most in their hearts, where their heart and passions lie. And so what Peter says is that it's proof. It's proof when someone suffers that God has set them apart, as Pastor Terrence reminded us, that God has made them holy. He's changing their interests from their own comfort to God's glory. Peter says, enough time has passed for living for ourselves, the way the unbelievers live. To illustrate his point, he gives this list of, of vices. He refers to these as the activities of Gentiles, which by using that phrase, he's referring to unbelievers. And these are a list of vices that are often found in a pagan and self-focused living. Certainly, as we look at these things, Many of these vices we might consider, people partake of these things, participate in these activities to have some self-gratification or self-pleasure. These things look very hedonistic. But we also need to remember and realize that many of these practices were also baked into the cultic rituals of pagan religion in Rome. That many of the things that are in this list, actually all of them, were part of participating in those Roman religious practices. And so not only were these practices self-gratifying, but they were also self-seeking. That's what this tells us. The patron deities of Rome were really instruments for success. You kept the gods happy so that you could keep yourself happy. The entire religion was contractual. 
you please the gods so that the gods will do things that bring pleasure to you. And I would say that not much has changed, culturally speaking, in what we expect from gods and how we try to transact for blessing. Today we still see cultural exchanges of goodwill for good fortune or good karma or good vibes or just to be thought of well. Um, even in the practice of faith. What this proves to us is that even religious people can be guilty of a self-focus. The Roman culture was extremely religious, but it was not a religion based on the glory of the gods. It was based on the glory that one receives, the blessing and the the comfort and pleasures that one can receive from the gods. It was a self-centered religion. And we would be silly not to believe that even Christians... Even we can struggle to operate with purity in our motives as we come to worship God. It's what people want to hear. There are many Christians who are looking for it and preachers who will preach that message. That many, there are many pastors who will preach and emphasize blessings that we find in this life and goodness and care that God wants to give us and comfort that God will give us in this life. And while certainly God does bless and comfort and, and give us good things in this life, these preachers would incorrectly say that God does not allow you to suffer and would not want that for you. And our itching ears will want to hear that message. So we need to be careful. Peter says in this passage, the time living for ourselves is over. Enough life has been lived, living and seeking our own desires and comforts. So Peter acknowledges that when this shift takes place in the life of believers, our th- people around us, our neighbors, our friends, our family, they're going to think that we're crazy. They will look at us and wonder what's gone on in our lives, and they will turn on us and malign us. And some of us have experienced this in our lives already. People don't understand why all of a sudden we've, we've gotten so religious People might think that there are ulterior motives, that we're trying to just feel better about ourselves or make others feel worse about ourselves so that we can feel better about ourselves, that we are trying to put on a holier-than-thou type of attitude. Some people will make sarcastic comments and uh, make fun of our commitments and convictions. Some people will treat us with very judgmental attitudes, not trying to get to know who we are as people, but just trying to make a judgment based on the fact that we associate with the name of Christ. And some of us have experienced what it feels like to become a social outcast in certain circles of life, to feel like an exile and a stranger, which are words we have already seen in Peter's letter. And so Peter assures believers that though they are experiencing this this rejection from folks who who are wondering, why aren't you joining us in in these cultic practices? Why aren't you joining us in these uh, self-focused pleasures? That though they don't answer to God now, one day they will. In fact, all people will have to answer to God. That's what verse 6 is talking about. Even those who died before Christ returns will be judged. There's no escape from God's judgment. Those who received the gospel and the gift of salvation, who might live by the Spirit, that's what Peter is talking about here in verse 6, that though they've passed before Christ's return, even they will be judged. And so believers should arm themselves with this idea of thinking and and preparing 
for this battle, preparing for those who will come against us and, and will raise opposition and who will make fun and who will malign and who will assign and character assassinate. We need to be ready and to expect this because the time for living for ourselves is over. The second support that Peter gives is he says the time for living for God and others is now. The time for living for God's glory is now. We see this in verses 7 through 11. Peter begins by saying the end of all things is at hand. When we read this and we realize how much time has passed, we might wonder, did Peter have his timeline off? You know, nearly 2,000 years has passed and Christ still has not returned. But what Peter is doing is he's reminding Christians that we are in the penultimate act of God's redemption plan. You might remember how in verses 10 and 12 of of Peter's uh, first chapter of this letter, he wrote about this special time that believers find themselves in, this time when the full plan of salvation has been revealed, a time in which angels has, have longed to see. What he's saying now in, in chapter 4 is, it's that time. It is that time when God is redeeming creation, where God is building His kingdom. It's that time where He is calling people to this glorious purpose, to be kingdom builders and to reflect His glory in the world. And so he's encouraging us because of this time that we find ourselves in, we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded in the way that we pray. It's a time for clear thinking in our prayers. You know, I I mentioned that his first comment is that the time for living for ourselves is over. And when we think about how we pray, and if we look and examine about the amount of time that we spend praying and what we're praying for, it can be very enlightening to see where our hearts and passions are. Surely God does want to hear from us, and He does want to hear our requests for His comfort and His strength and His guidance. But we need to ask ourselves, how how self-focused are we and self-centered are we even in our prayers? How much time do we pray for the things that God cares about and for His purposes? You might remember that Jesus taught His disciples to pray that the kingdom would come and that God's will would be done. Yes, we ask for our daily bread, and we ask for help to live as God has called us to live, but ultimately our hearts should be aligned not just with seeking out and searching for God's comfort in the hardships of this world, but for seeking and searching for God's plan and purposes to have their way in this world. Peter continues, he says, Above all, love one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. What a great reminder that love, covenant faithfulness, is that virtue and attribute of God that absorbs faults and maintains unity and fidelity despite the shortcomings of others. That is to be exhibited in the way that we live towards one another. That we are to be hospitable without grumbling. Some of us, that might strike us. (laughs) How many times do we mutter under our breath as we go and serve our brother and sister in Christ, or our spouse, or our kids, or whatever. Serving each one of us with the gifts of grace that God gives and the strength that He gives, all for one glorious purpose, summarized in verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Peter's saying it's the time to glorify God. The time for living for ourselves is past. The time for living for God's glory is right now. The end of all things is at hand. It's time for God's holy people to be just that. It's time for the church to be 
the light to the nations. It's time for them to be the temple in which God displays His presence and His glory in all that we do. And it's time for us to live for God and His glory in the way that we serve others. God's purposes are taking place right now, and He wants us as His precious children to be used to bring about those purposes. So we should arm ourselves, we should prepare ourselves for what it might cost us, knowing that now's the time to live for God's glory. The third support that he gives, and this is the close of our, of our chapter, is he says it's also the time of testing. The time of testing has begun. Peter's letter may surprise us here. When we think about God's judgment, we often think that we'll be judged on that final day. And certainly the final judgment will be given at that time, but the testing has begun. The testing has begun already in our lives. God has begun testing His people, and this really strikes a tender place. And you can see this. Peter knows he's maybe pressing on a wound as he's writing to believers who are experiencing hardship and suffering, and to hear that this time of testing is taking place. He addresses the his readers as beloved. He knows he's writing into hard situations. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. These fiery trials, these sufferings, should not come as a surprise to believers. In fact, they should expect them. It's part now of God's plan. When bad things happen to Christians who are doing everything God says, ultimately we begin to question, why doesn't God protect me from this? Why is He allowing these things to happen? What did I do to deserve these sufferings? And the answer is not a deficiency in God. It's not that God has allowed something to happen to you because of something that you've done. Christ was perfectly sinless, and yet God allowed suffering to befall Him because through that suffering, God was accomplishing something great. He was founding His kingdom so that others could come to know Him. What we see is a deficiency in creation. Sin has entered the world, and just as a sinful heart rejects God, it also rejects God's people. And just as Christ was rejected by men, the followers of Christ, the ones who have been redeemed by His blood, should expect that we too will face opposition and rejection. There's no amount of ethical nuance or winsome behavior that can cultivate affection in a sinful heart and leave us unscathed from those who have their hearts set against God and His purposes. The world will act hatefully towards us at some time, and it won't make sense, but it's not a marker that God has left us. These are those necessary trials, these sufferings that Peter's referring to here in chapter 4, those necessary trials that he spoke of in the very beginning of his letter in verses 6 and 7, those trials that test the purity of our faith. Peter is reminding them that this testing is a good thing because when we suffer for the name of Christ, it reveals that we are truly God's children. Suffering is the litmus test, and a willingness to suffer demonstrates what has first place in the hearts of his people. And so Peter writes and says that you can rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What a strange phrase Peter writes to these believers and to us. 
rejoicing in suffering. Believers can rejoice in suffering not because the suffering isn't painful, not because they've been numbed to the realities of of the hardships that they face. Suffering is what it is, and it does cause great pain. But we can rejoice because we know why we suffer. We can rejoice because the suffering proves our position as a child of God. It's a harsh reality that God transforms into a confirmation of grace. Peter says, rejoice when you suffer for Christ's sake. The suffering comes because God's Spirit is upon you, the Spirit of glory and of God. Notice that you're not suffering because God has left you. You're not suffering because God has abandoned you or He's trying to teach you any kind of particular lesson. The suffering that Peter's talking about here, suffering for living the ways that God has called you to live, it comes because you're simply His child. And the world is treating you as it treats Him. Peter says that this time of testing is the start of God's judgment, and it begins with God's people. And so as we experience suffering as believers, we can rejoice knowing that this suffering is reassuring us of our place and of the glory that is to come. We can know that if we share in this suffering, as we try to live and exhibit God's holiness in this world and and demonstrate to the world all the ways in which He's wonderful are the ways that we live, when hardships come on us, and we share in that suffering, we also can know and have an affirmation or confirmation that we will share in the glory that is to come. Peter wants us to remember that God sees it all. He knows the hardships that we face, and that's why he says that we should trust ourselves to our Creator while still doing good. Our suffering is not needless or pointless. It serves a very important purpose. God has redeemed it for us. Chapter 4 in Peter's letter has a very difficult word for us. But within this word, there are words of hope as well. Chapter 4 really prompts an important question for all believers. And this question will go as deep as you allow it to go. And the question simply is, who am I really living for? There are questions that we can ask of ourselves. Uh, We can ask, you know, am I focused on myself Or am I focused on living for God? Am I living and seeking my own comfort and living in the ways of holiness so that it would go well for me in this life? Nothing tests our hearts like suffering. Nothing tests our love or our faithfulness or passion like hardship. And so this is a reminder that our hearts will constantly be tested, that there is a constant test that will take place in the life of believers every day where we will have decisions, just as I highlighted in the children's message, where we have to choose. Do we live the way God calls us to live, or will we try to live in a way that makes it more comfortable for us? As I said, it's a very simple question, but one that can probe very deep if we allow it to do so. God is revealing the purity of faith in His people, and He wishes to cultivate deeper and deeper purity in that faith. So what am I willing to put up with in order to follow Christ? What am I willing to endure? What am I willing to sacrifice? Honestly, this is not an uplifting passage. This is not a a passage that would excite us as we hear about the hardships that can come 
It's not the kind of passage that we would enjoy meditating on, but it's one that is very necessary for strengthening us for this walk of faith and living in the midst of hardship. It's the kind of passage that actually makes us feel pretty weak because we know how hard it is for us to live, not for ourselves, but for God's glory. We know that this battle is not easy. We can take some comfort in seeing that even Jesus struggled in the trials of his suffering. He pleaded for other ways, and yet he always submitted to his Father's will. He was willing and prepared to suffer. But we can see Jesus' humanity, that he struggled with this call. Hebrews 12.1 says that we should look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. This is why Peter began his letter the way he did, if we recall that beginning, reminding believers of who they are, reminding them of their identity, reminding them of their hope that is secure, reminding them that they are God's cherished children, that they are His treasured possession, and that they have a glorious future, an inheritance that awaits, that is undefiled and imperishable. There is a wonderful, wonderful uh, song that has come out in recent years, and we've sung it here, and it's called, Is He Worthy? And I love this song because it gives voice so clearly to the pain and frustration and brokenness that we feel in this world, while at the same time reminding us of the gospel and the security of the good news that Christ has won for us. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? And brothers and sisters, who is to exhibit the glory of the Lord? We are. God working through us. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does God intend to dwell again with us? He does. In the bridge of that song, it says, From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with His Son. The beauty of this song is that it calls to mind and it helps us to rehearse all the glory that is to come, to remind ourselves of all that God has done, to remind ourselves the way that Christ suffered and what he has secured for us. That's what Peter wants to remind us, to remember. He wants us to remember that if we can share in Christ's sufferings, if we can commit ourselves to being God's holy people, there is no doubt we will share in that glory. This is the key to living in the midst of hardship. This is the hope that we hold on to. The hardships and suffering that we experience, they serve a powerful purpose of confirming our place as God's children. And so Peter's charge as he's closing his letters, he's writing to these believers who are living and feeling this persecution firsthand. He encourages them to arm themselves and prepare themselves for that daily struggle. 
we can do this best by reminding ourselves of the gospel, by reminding ourselves of Christ's willingness to suffer in order to win us and bring us into the household of faith, remembering that we are God's cherished children, ones that He protects and keeps for a glorious inheritance. The hard word in this passage is that there will be a cost for following Christ. We will have pains and sufferings, and Jesus was very clear in his, throughout his earthly ministry foretelling of these times. But our strength for enduring them, Peter wants us to know, comes from knowing and remembering how Christ suffered but received glory. And so we can draw strength and recognize the power and love that God has poured into us, and it can strengthen us for that daily battle that we might pass the test, that our faith might be confirmed in our hearts, and we might rejoice even in the midst of living in these hardships. Let's pray. Father, these are, are difficult words. We live in a world filled with hardship and pain, and we want to receive comfort. And so to read through words that promise hardship and promise opposition and promise persecution, Lord, it can make our, our knees weak. It can cause us to be discouraged. We ask for your word to strengthen us. There is a deep and abiding promise for your children. There is a reality that if we're following you, if we're walking closely to you, then hardship will come our way. We ask that you would strengthen our faith, strengthen our hearts and our minds, help us to prepare for this struggle. Help us, whenever these sufferings come, not to wander or, or wonder uh, uh, where you are or why this is happening. We're not to consider it to be something strange. But help us, Father, to understand this is happening because we are your children. And may that be a blessed sign of assurance and confirmation of our standing in Christ. May that fill our hearts with hope as we look forward to that future, spending all eternity in your presence. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, as we go to the Lord in prayer for our prayer of intercession, I would like to give you all prompts and allow you to pray in your own hearts, and then I will pray for us all as we move through our prayer. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. We come to you now with, with cares and worries that overwhelm our hearts and our minds. Lord, hear our cries and answer our prayers according to your great will. Work in our hearts that we might receive your, an your answers to our prayers with joy and thanksgiving. We pray for our people. We think of Alan Goldberg as he is waiting for a date for his back surgery. For Mavis Burdett as she recovers from surgery that she had this past week. For those in our congregation who are recovering from illness and surgery, 
Alan Link, Lloyd Rasmussen, Cecia and Brian Cardoza-Gama, Robin Sloan, the Robinsons' niece, Andrea, Ryan McKay, and Mike Parent. We pray for those who are mourning, such as Rose Rosemary Haynes and her family. And we also want to pray for Theodore Lawson, who is has been hospitalized in the NICU, whose heart rate seems to be out of control and gets really high. Pray for healing and mercy. Take this time to pray. Lord, we pray for the people of this church, many who are sick or recovering from sickness. Heal them quickly, Lord. Father, we cry out to you on behalf of Theodore Lawson and the Lawson family. Lord, we ask that you would bring his heart rate under control, and that you would give the doctors wisdom as to how to treat him. Lord, be with Matt and Christy and their boys in this time of uncertainty and fear. Lord, heal Theodore, we pray. Pray for your neighbors, for our neighbors, those who are lost because they do not know Christ, those who are isolated from family because of the pandemic, those who are in need of a word of encouragement from a brother or sister in Christ. Please pray. Father, you have commanded your people to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, to do this, we must be people who know our neighbors. Lord, give us a heart for those around us, that we might love them as Christ loves them, that we might know them in ways that we may be a help to them in their times of need. Open our eyes to their needs that we might meet them in the name of Christ. <clears throat> Father, we want to live for others, not just for ourselves. Pray for the church's witness in the world, for our missionaries, for 22 too many, and for our local witness as a church in our community. Jesus, you have told us that your church, as your church, we are to be a light to the world, a city set on a hill for all to see. Lord, sanctify your church that we might point unbelievers to their only hope, Jesus Christ. Lord, we as your people long 
to live not just for ourselves, but for your glory, that your glory may be known in this world through our missionaries, through our acts, and through our words of love. Father, we give you praise that we live in a country where we are allowed to worship freely. Let us not take this freedom for granted, but work in us that we would seek justice and peace for all people. Use us, Lord, as your agents of mercy, that we might be a blessing to this nation. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. We continue our worship as we sing together, Whate'er my God ordains is right. So to him I leave it all, he holds. 
our call as God's children that we would display his glory in this world. And may we do that. May we do it now. Now is the time. We have a great help and a great example in looking to Christ. We have a great help in having an open book. We have a great help in being able to ask for the Spirit to strengthen us every day, in the moment even, for this work. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen.